Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 107. It's me, everyone, Matt Bigelow from MatthewPMBigelow.com, which is where you can go to get the show notes for the show, photos related to the show, donation ideas, and more. Uh, this is the podcast that covers AI trends. In Japan, um, odd items, because Japan's still a little bit weird, despite everybody trying to say it ain't. And I'm having what you're having, everybody. Some water. Some water. 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 Uh, brothers in town, and we'll just, we'll just go for one beer. You know that one. Yeah, we'll just get one beer. And then it's like nine beers later. Maybe we should switch to something else. <laughs> we might just do the same thing again today. All right, well, let's get started. Busy show, busy show today. Um, the thing about doing this all by myself is just the, the technical things that pop up. It's boring. It doesn't make sense. La, 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 la. But um, in addition to the AI news, we also cover the economy, analysis, um, and, and more. And overall, a lot of that gets um, filtered into surveillance capitalism uh, the World Economic Forum and how they tie into the Japanese decision-making at uh, the elite political level, all that type of stuff. Um, it's, it's like the only podcast that doesn't focus on either a strange crime or um, anime or something like that. So thank you for uh, tuning in. The, we'll begin today with the Mainichi. I may have included this link in the past, uh, but it's been updated and I haven't talked about it yet. This is the flush by phone. Japan toilet maker responds to demand for touch-free facilities. Let's begin. September 10th, 2023. I'm recording this on September 11th, everybody. You know what that means. Wink, wink. The terrorists won. This is the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. Mm, and we're living underneath the, um, the, the unrolling surveillance state based upon the American decisions after the attacks on the Twin Towers to fight terrorism. And now it kind of feels like they're fighting me. And maybe if they're fighting me, maybe they're fighting you. Is that paranoid? Some people say it is. But Hunter S. Thompson said there is no such thing as paranoia. Uh, maybe it's just misplaced aggression. Hmm, who knew about that? Flush by phone. Japan toilet maker responds to 9-11 with new app. <laughs> That's my headline. <laughs> if you don't want to touch that lever to flush the toilet, you're not alone. According to a survey by a major toilet manufacturer in Japan, which has already rolled out a new line of app-activated public toilets. Now... I used to not really be a germaphobe, and now I am a major germaphobe. I'm worse than Howard Stern, that American shock jack from the 1990s. Basically, I'm constantly wrapped up in bubble wrap, and, uh, and I, I, I really love living in Japan because they don't shake hands, they bow. That's the main reason I'm still here. You just bow all the time, and you don't have to touch anybody because they're dirty. Uh, no, but uh, in the pandemic, it has it has made me like become more preferential for to people not touch my stuff, especially in convenience stores. Because um, like I, I go and buy a drink, and then I hand the drink to the convenience store person, and sometimes the convenience store person like grabs the drink by the top, like the cap, and then they like rub their hands all over it, change a bunch of money, and then give me back the 
the drink I just bought, you know, like a, a, you know, a bottle of water, for example, or a beer. And I'm like, well, you just put, you're, you're, you're a dirty convenience store worker. I mean, you're touching things all the time with your hands and you don't wash them that frequently. Um, So when the pandemic hit, I became aware of those things because of the panic at the time. And then I became really quickly just preferring to hold up my drink that I'm going to buy and let, and get them to scan it. And with all the self-registers now, the self-checkout, you can do it yourself. But I was like, why do I need to give this drink to you so that you could touch your dirty hands all over it and then give it back to me? It doesn't make any sense. And then the toilet flushers as well. Once you get used to touching a remote button that's not near the toilet and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Toto Limited, headquartered in the southwestern Japan city of Kitakyushu. This May surveyed 1,500 people ranging in age from their 20s to their 60s and beyond who frequented restaurants at least once a month. In response to a question on what bothered them when using the public restrooms with multiple selections possible, the top answer was the smell, followed by the temperature of the toilet seat. Around 30% agreed they felt hesitant to flush or open and close the toilet lid by hand, revealing a consumer demand for hands-free lavatories. When asked when flushing the format they liked, uh, sorry, when asked which flushing format they liked, 36.3% chose, quote, automatic flushing, end quote. That occurs when the user moves away from the toilet, while 30.1% selected, quote, sensor type flushing, end quote, where the user places their hand over a sensor. Just 10% favored, quote, button type flushing, end quote. Why would you prefer that? Oh, triggered by a button on the unit's wall-mounted remote control. Hand-operated flushing by lever was favored by only 2.2%. Who would choose that? They need to be removed from society. If Hitler had one thing, if he could just change it from the Jews to people who would prefer flushing by hand, the world would have been a much better place. <laughs> Sorry. The results indicate that users... It's a September 11th thing. I don't know, maybe. The results indicate that users prefer to avoid touching toilet buttons and especially levers insofar as possible. These are smart people. They're data-driven. Uh, the flush by phone era... Toto has already developed toilets with automatic and sensor-activated flushing, but until recently, it had not produced any models allowing for button-free operation of more advanced features, such as bidet or fine-tuned water pressure. All that changed on August 1st when the company began sales of its, quote, washlet apricot pea, end quote, line, some versions of which allow for smartphone-based operation, including control of advanced features like bidets. To access the hands-free features, users can scan a QR code placed near the toilet's control panel to download an app. While this process takes a little time, the toilets are expected to be rolled out at facilities with lots of repeat visitors, such as healthcare clinics and restaurants. The company's public relations department st said, stated, uh, quote, due in part to the coronavirus pandemic, we believe demand for the consumers who do not wish to touch levers or anything else in that public washrooms has surfaced. Going forward, we'd like to develop products that respond to hygienic awareness among users, end quote. Um, amazing quote. Quotes suck. It's like he proves to the public that the journalist interviewed somebody or somebody somewhere said something, but it's always just a chance to promote the end result. So there we go. I'm uh, I'm okay with the wall thing. I don't think I need to root. I don't like rooting around on my 
phone as I'm standing around a toilet. Um, I don't know about you. And then you have to scan the QR code on the toilet. What if the data from that QR code is just as dirty as the toilet? Not really. I think you get the idea that um, uh, we can now flush toilets with our phones. And it's uh, something that is should, have, should have been ruled out years and years ago. It's finally being made available. Um, and we'll see. Uh, it would be kind of interesting if, like... Um, if, uh, in, like, instead of having to download an app and, and do all that, I mean, controlling the bidet for your personal um, toilet would be good for having an in-house, an, an app on your phone for your own pisser. Uh, but for the toilet thing, I wonder if it could, like, a sensor, a light sensor, for example, and uh, you could shine your, your smartphone flashlight on the sensor, and the sensor would then trigger the phone the 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 toilet to flush that way you don't have to download apps and things like that and then there's the idea of data monitoring and stuff like that as well which phone flushed the toilet at which time do you really need the government knowing that i don't know and there we go so i think the title of today's um automatic flushing uh or, or sensor type flushing maybe something like that Good titles, good titles. So that's today's strange product, high-tech, um, first-world problems finally solved. Thank you very much. Moving on. Um, let's take a look at sexism. Now, sexism is two things simultaneously, um, horrible and hilarious. And I'm very sorry. Sometimes, like, growing up, you hear about sexism and uh, male chauvinists or something like that. And they like, women are an inferior creature and they are too wrapped up in their emotions and their bleeding vaginas to ever hold any type of job. That's why they can never learn and they must stay inside all the time. And, like, okay, that's not good. That's in the horrible section. But in modern-day society with... um you know, people not growing up really hating each other that much, depending on the country in which you're in. In Canada, not really a thing. Like, the the bad, the super bad type. And, you know, even recently in Japan, it's moving on from those old tropes. Not, you know, still there, but not really. But the lighter versions of sexism, it's like you expect the sexism to be so bad that when it's not that bad, it becomes funny. I think that's what happens. This comes to us from the Mainichi as well, Japan's national daily since 1922. Many, and then of course it's in uh, elections and things like that, right? Sexism. So it's like Japan, the country of male politicians is sexist towards the women. And you're like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. And then you read it and you end up kind of laughing at it. Uh, and again, this is for September 11th. So this is like uh, uh, the Twin Towers are falling on sexism in Japan. Let's just say that. Uh, many female candidates, including sexual minorities who ran in this past spring's nationwide unified local elections, faced harassment while campaigning. A survey by a group of young people working for gender equality in politics has found, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. The 50s project began in August 2022, led by Momoko Nojo, who has been working to encourage young people to get involved in politics. She and other young supporters held a series of study sessions under the slogan, quote, Eliminate inequality in the political field of our generation, end quote. Okay, I'm all in. I'm all in. 
The group backed a total of 29 female candidates, including a lesbian, in her 20s and 30s in Tokyo, Kanagawa, Ibaraki, Nagano, and other prefectures. Um, they surveyed 21 of them, only 21 of the 29. The other eight were too busy, I guess. Too busy putting on makeup or having their period. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they surveyed 21 of them to find out what challenges they faced and what they felt during the campaign. With multiple answers options available, this is like the survey podcast, I guess. The women were asked what they had experienced between the time they decided to run for office and the campaign period. Fifteen rep respondents said they had encountered insulting attitudes or comments based on their gender. Um, one candidate said she was photographed with an unknown man on the street without her permission. It's like, ah, uh, so this is where this is where this is where I come in and I say. If you're going to be, if you want to hold office, you got to be tough. So you have to be able to deal with people coming up to you and 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 invading your space. I think that's just a given because you have to represent everybody, including those assholes. Even though you might not like them, you're still representing them. So in a way, you have to be able to deal with them. So if you're running for office and somebody takes a picture with you on the street, is that so bad? Another candidate handing out her business card to a passerby asked, Quote, can I call you when I want to go on a date? End quote. Okay, that's douchey on part of the dude. Um, do dudes don't do that. It's stupid. The, the woman will usually smile because she's, you know, she wants to get rid of you. And that's the best way to get rid of you, smile and then walk away. Uh, then you're like, well, I got a smile. I could totally bang her. And then the man goes on with his day. But it's a douchey thing. You shouldn't do that. In another case, a candidate was told, cute girl you can actually think about politics <laughs> oh so again um that attitude not good but if it's just in somebody's mind it i don't know how much it's going to affect other people in the world so it's like crazy ideas in people's minds that don't really matter that much even though uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't condone such ways of thinking. It's just stupid that people think that way. In addition, 15 respondents faced, quote, defamation and harassment on social media and in emails, end quote. Well, I do a lot, too. I get called racist a lot by crazy liberal professors. Like, it's crazy. The only people that ever call me racist are liberal professors. It's like you say something and it's not couched in the language of liberal professorship and they feel the need to campaign against you somehow it's happened multiple times over the years it's weird i don't makes me not like liberals in general because the other liberals don't condone those people then those liberal other liberals that aren't condoning might be my friends but i'm being attacked and they don't support me even though i'm kind of a liberal guy and so i don't like them now either so anyways and then the conservatives are like, yeah, that's pretty gay. <laughs> In addition, 15 respondents faced defamation emails. 11 experienced, quote, sexual or ver violent verbal harassment, including jeering. 10, criticism and slander about private matters such as age, marital status, childbirth, and child rearing. Well, here we go again. If you're going to be up for public office, people should know about that. Like, if I'm a family man and I want a family person to represent me in politics so that family matters can be um, promoted by people who understand them on a day-to-day -day basis, not some dreamy woo-woo land from like studying books about families and all that. Maybe you want somebody in office who's in a family, not because you, you, you want them to be single. And then when you figure out they have a family, you get angry and not vote for them. Just on, on behalf of the voter, they might be interested in having somebody in office who 
has a family. So that kind of is like, well, that's a weak woman who thinks that maybe. Not a weak woman. That's a weak politician. Oh, you want to know my marital status? Oh, yeah. Deal with it. Um, nine had to deal with, quote, excessive physical proximity, such as touching the body or getting closer than necessary, end quote. Now that I will believe because uh, pervy men will take advantage of those situations to exploit, you know, like uh, maybe uh, touching a woman or smelling her hair like Joe Biden does all the time. Uh, so for me, yeah, that's that, that's that's bad. And I'm not going to go too much more into that. Um, but, but, but. So anyway, so as we can see, it's not like they're getting thrown off of buildings. It's not like they're getting shot in the head. Um, it's not like they're being whipped or something like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very mm, light, still kind of douchey, but at the same time, you have to, you have to present a, uh, a, a face to the, to, you have to represent a whole bunch of a variety of people, including assholes. That's what a lot of politicians I don't think understand. It's like, no, you're going to represent a lot of people. Like, so you're going to get in there for yourself and do the things that you want to do, but you're representing a, a wide spectrum of fucking assholes when you run for politics. So you better know how to deal with them and understand their behaviors uh, and know how to stand up to them without turning into a, a liberal snowflake. <laughs> I don't like those terms either. Just a bunch of snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> Both sides of the political equations are so they're insufferable. I, I I usually just stay away these days. I have I have pretty solid political foundational beliefs, but I don't really care to express them that much. I find it quite boring. Let's move. So that's the sexism. So I'm going to ask you, the listener, the the podcaster, uh, the 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 person who goes to MatthewPMBigelow.com to get all the facts. The, the, the truth seekers out there. Was it sexism or was it not sexism? Was it horrible? It was sexism. So I'll say this. Was it horrifyingly brutal, uh, life-punishingly um, horrific sexism? Or was it, for the most part, douchey, asshole, but not so consequential sexism? What do you think? Is it? Oh, is it? Um, the G20 is on right now, the group of nations 20. It's pretty boring, um, but I always look out for the World Economic Forum. Uh, what Should we just... Should I do another horn? Should I... Let's just do this one. All right, let's take a look at the G20. Here we go. Now, at these, um, you know, international things that are always going on all the time now, it, they always are pushing for, like, uh, climate change and world government. And those are basically the same thing. The, you know, cli fighting climate change just means um, changing the behaviors of people uh, and then getting paid to do so. That, that's a very cynical viewpoint, but I, I believe it as one. And uh, just like how I've been covering on this podcast the promotion in Japan of um, edible insects, the certain interest groups get some money somehow, and then they funnel that money into projects involving culture and education. And so they will get a whole bunch of 
kids to like study about eating insects in Japan and then they will make them eat insects in Japan. But the insects in Japan now are farmed in these factories and turned into powder and then they make bread, but they're told it's their culture and it makes no sense. Um, and so the G20 meetings and the global meetings as well have um, these kind of, they try to couch behavioral changes into things like culture and history. And the G20 meeting for this year in India is no exception. Uh, Narendra Modi. Um, so the, the theme for this year of India's G20, and this is from the G20 website, so it's right there. And the the theme of India's G27, sorry, the theme of India's G20 presidency, and this is the Indian word, Vasudaiva Kutumbakan, or one earth, one family, one future, all right? Well, that, to me, one, one earth, one family, one future. One earth is fine. One family would mean all of humans and one future would mean global government. So anyways, but it's drawn, you see, from the ancient Sanskrit text of Maha Anpanishad. Essentially, the theme affirms the value of all life, human, animal, plant, and microorganisms, and their interconnectedness on planet Earth and in the wider universe. The theme also spotlights life, lifestyle for environment, with its associated environmentally sustainable and responsible choices, both at the level of individual lifestyles, as well as national development, leading to globally transformative actions resulting in a cleaner, greener, and bluer future. Yes, especially with countries like India, who pollute almost more than anywhere else, and it's just dirty everywhere you go, and China, uh, same thing, um, but, uh, so, this is that hypocritical thing, so they don't actually maybe want to clean things up, they just want to charge the consumer more for less, I think that's what they want, they, they want us eating bugs next to solar panels, and if they can make that happen, they will could put a big check mark by their list of things to do, their to-do list, the, but Japan's uh, Prime Minister Kishida made a comment as well, um, I'm going to tie this into some other things as well. So this this is like the trickle-down effect. And just like, I haven't seen any, sorry, I haven't seen any World Economic Forum activity so far at the G20. Um, I'll be tracking it for sure. Um, but a lot of like a transfer happens at these things. Like, for example, at the G7 meeting earlier this year, the World Economic Forum will have a group meet on the sidelines with um, Japanese groups. And then the Japanese groups adopt uh, policies or adopt goals set by the World Economic Forum. They agree to adopt these goals. So it kind of transfers over the um, aims of the World Economic Forum into the government. And that's so they often talk about public-private establishments and, and cooperations and things like that. And that's what they mean when they say that. They're just going to adopt World Economic Forum aims and goals and things like that. Um and it's no exception for here as well, because it says Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is something that could shake the foundation of cooperation at G20. Also, that is having a major impact on the global economy through such developments as continued increases in food and energy prices, he said. Uh, Kishida reiterated Japan's stance on the Ukraine crisis, calling for the immediate withdrawal of uh, Russian troops and emphasizing the need for just and durable peace in Ukraine. He also underscored that Russia's nuclear threat and the nuclear weapons uh, use is uh, absolutely unacceptable, blah, 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 blah. But 
I I I think that these leaders want higher increases in food prices because that will change our behavior and make the world greener. We will eat less meat. So just because Russia invades Ukraine well, the, and then the nitrogen prices increase by a billion percent, but that's what the G20 wants and the UN wants. Like, that's what they want. And they want that. They explicitly campaign for these things, especially in places like the Netherlands. So this comes to us from the United Nations website. And, you know, okay, it's G20 and it's the UN. It's not the same, but it kind of is because it's the same people always going to the same places to talk about the same things with our money. Um, So this is from uh, 2023, January, and it says four reasons why the world needs to limit nitrogen pollution. Um, And it goes on and on and on. So they want they want to they want to decrease nitrogen. And the same thing happens with the, the Netherlands as well. The Netherlands is planning on shutting down a whole bunch of its farms to limit nitrogen pollution. But nitrogen and, and farming and all that stuff, all, all those chemicals are needed to produce fertilizers. And then Russia makes all those fertilizers or Ukraine makes those fertilizers too and exports them all over the world. So the UN and all these leaders say we need a sustainable future with less pollution and that less pollution means less chemicals and those chemicals can be used to make fertilizers and then they say we need to shut down the farms and now the prices are going up. It's like, well, wouldn't the prices go up because of limitations on product or um, not being able to make the product as easily as before because you're regulated up the arse? Something like that. So they say at one thing, everybody just blames Russia and the invasion of Ukraine. And it's Putin's fault. But then they also say just the next day or the next meeting when they meet up in another location around the world, they also say, well, it's good that this is all happening because now the prices will go up and consumer behaviors will change. And instead of eating beef, we can look at other sources like insects and solar panels instead of coal. And then the future will be great. We'll, or we'll meet our sustainable development goals for 2030 or something like that. So, they they kind of talk out both sides of their mouth at the same time. No surprise, they're politicians. Um, but this also connects into the next topic here. Uh, so we'll leave, we'll leave the G7 and move into the um, economy here. Here we go. The economy. I wrote that song. I programmed it and did the guitar. Coffee quality in Japan hit by Ukraine war and global warming. So um, if you live in Japan, so this comes to us from the Asahi Shimbum Asia and Japan Watch on September 11th. So again, the uh, the coffee industry is a uh, is, is collapsing just like twin towers and everybody talks about bin laden but the real reason why building seven fell is wink wink the hidden reasons for all of the surveillance that was initiated right and the cia <laughs> just say things like that and then the cia connects to hillary clinton no. if you live in japan and have noticed that your morning caffeine fix doesn't quite pack the kick you were expecting 
blame it on the war in Ukraine. That's what they always say. No, I'm not going to blame it on the war in Ukraine. I'm going to blame it on global initiatives to limit fertilizers and chemicals resulting in consumer behavior changes, right? Because we're, we're, coffee is just too good. And it's true. I have noticed a major decrease in coffee um, quality in Japan. I used to be a major drinker. I've cut back more than half. Prices have gone way up. The quality has gone way down. Um, and for a while, it was um, some like poor harvests and stuff like that in the Southern Hemisphere. And you got to remember, there was a giant volcanic explosion in Tonga, and that sent a huge amount of particulate matter um, up into the atmosphere and circles and circles and circles around in the southern hemisphere there. And that's going to have an impact on global agricultural production for uh, for a while. And then you combine that with the the lack of fertilizer or the increase in prices in fertilizer. And you get these combined like nature um, disasters combined with just the, the crazy mad scientists that are running the world and making us live worse lives. Um, the, the, you put those two things together and it might just have a knock-on effect. I don't know. It turns out that the quality of coffee beans exported to Japan has dropped slightly. This, say experts, is largely due to the soaring price that farmers in Colombia are having to pay for fertilizer imported from Russia. Yu Shimada, a coffee appraiser who works for Nagoya-based Manrakwan, is responsible for the quality of coffee beans grown in Colombia and imported by his company to Japan. Shimada, 40, said he noticed that the beans were less aromatic than before when he visited a farm there last autumn. This is Matt cutting in here. I would also like to say that China has become a major, major, major uh, coffee drinker nation. You go to Beijing when I was there in 2019, the best coffee I've ever had. And the amount of coffee that there is drank there recently, I don't know if it's still like that, was amazing. So they became huge coffee drinkers there in the last 10 years because of the rise in affluence. And then they're an importing nation as well and an exporting nation as well. And they want to take control over the global supply chain networks. And coffee is a good thing to have as a part of that because everybody wants it. And I think it, it, you know, it exports pretty well. It holds well. Um, so the amount of coffee being drank by Chinamen, Chinese people, sorry, um, might be limiting the amount of production. I mean, limiting the amount of supply. And then when you limit the amount of supply, things go up. And sometimes depending on um, who gets the, gets the best beans, your quality might go down, right? They might just say in China, well, we'll order an extra 30 tons of coffee beans. And then you just give us a little bit of a reduction in price. And then China, Japan says, well, we don't, we don't need an extra 30 tons of coffee beans. We're, we're, we're at our limit. There's just not that much demand, right? And so, the, well, sorry, sorry, Japan. We had a great relationship for a while, but these beans are going to go to China now because they're just simply ordering more of them. Uh, they don't talk about that, though, in these news reports because journalists are not smart people. Shimada, 40, said he noticed that they're smart people, but they're, they're very uninquisitive for the most part. They just get the data that comes to them. They assemble it, ask no questions, but really focus on the hyphens. Uh, Shimada, 40, said he noticed that the beans were less aromatic than before. Okay, while he looked the same, the brew extracted from the beans tasted flatter. Shimada is a licensed Q grader, a quality appraiser authorized by the Specialty Coffee, Coffee Association of America. It means he has an exacting sense for the taste and flavor of coffee. 
When he asked farmers of various areas if they had changed the way they were going about things, many of them said they were using less fertilizer. Colombia is a major importer of fertilizer from Russia, the world's top export of the product. Prices of fertilizer surged after Russia went to war against Ukraine in February 2022, resulting in a sharp drop in imports by Colombia. Why? Why did the prices go up? Nobody explains that, though. It just doesn't make any sense. Nitrogen fertilizer encourages the growth of coffee leaves. Lower yields and reduced bean quality result when less fertilizer is used. Farmers complain that they could no longer afford to buy fertilizer because prices had tripled, Shimara has said. Okay, but the UN at the same time says we need to limit nitrogen production. We need to limit these things. And we need to reduce the amount of farming going on in the world because farming contributes to global warming. So we got to get rid of it largely that's what they say and then these things start happening and then everybody just goes well it's putin's fault because there's an army in in ukraine now and that means russia's prices for nitrogen and nitrogen fertilizer has tripled like i don't believe those things are connected the way you say they do you sound like a crazed conspiracy theorist you sound like a schizophrenic person explaining why the sun is following them around the town all day it makes no sense the way that those things are connected if they are i would like some more details and i would happily change my mind and agree with you that the sun is following you around town for example prices on the new york futures market remained extremely high for 10 months from november 2021 reaching levels at around 2.5 fold from pre-pandemic levels due to skyrocketing transportation costs and fluctuations in foreign exchange rates well that might make sense too um skyrocketing transportation costs that's right they want less oil as well they want they want thing, green fuel which is very expensive so all of these things that are being promoted are ending up really like hitting the regular consumer like you and me quite hard and then we're told to blame putin but that all the time that's what they're saying that they want to do anyway so why don't they say congratulations we are well on our way to establishing a green future they always say we are not there yet and the world is going to crumble unless we do all these things then we might get through it but we don't know yet and then it starts happening and they're like your coffee is more expensive because of putin you're like what come on come on um, coffee beans still cost more than 1.5 times they did before the novel coronavirus pandemic, Shimada said. Price hikes in Japan, and we kind of go around and around and around and around. Um, production areas could shrink. So the whole article will be published on to the Matthew P. and Bigelow website. Um, and that's that's kind of how it's linking into the economy, but... I think that's what I have to say about that. Have you considered donating to the show? We are podcasting 2.0 compliant. That means if you get rid of your legacy app and download a modern podcasting app, such as Podverse, CurioCaster, Podfans, and more, 
you can take advantage of a revolution that's happening within the technology industry with decentralization of information. Big tech is too crazy, they're too centralized, and they rely on creative people to make products that get really popular, and then those companies hire really crappy middle managers that go in there and ruin it for everybody else. So get rid of those people by incorporating Podcasting 2.0 into your podcasting experience. Uh, you can also donate via the, the app itself, through the app, through the protocols, Satoshi's, Bitcoin micropayments. I'm on it. A lot of other people are on it. And it's just a way to um, facilitate the move away from big tech siloed information that's censorious and will start getting rid of your favorite podcasts. And it's a way to build up having a database that exists outside of Apple, that exists outside of Spotify and YouTube. So why not take advantage of that? Go to Podverse or any other podcasting 2.0 compliant app and import your library and get going now. You can also go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, make a donation via uh, PayPal at uh, paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. And thank you for listening. Let's take a look at society, Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example... All right, so that is a... Um something that was made by the Japanese government to promote their Society 5.0 initiative. I ran an AI class at a major Japanese telecom for five years and uh, teaching some of the higher-ups in the company, and they were involved in somewhat in this as well because the government, the Japanese government wants to create um, a new technological future for their, their society and digitize everything and do all that. They're really shitty at it. They're always making mistakes. And the end result is never really convincing, but they're doing their darndest to try. Um, so that's Japan Society 5.0. It incorporates things like self-driving cars, telemedicine, remote work. Um, it's like an all-encompassing umbrella of this new batch of technologies that we got. Artificial intelligence, uh, smart cameras, all that type of stuff. Um, and depending on how it's used, like I'm, I really like the technology. I think it's fascinating. But depending on how it's used, it will either turn us all into like the, the Chinese social credit score system where we're all just like we have to scan our QR code to get into a train. And then if your score isn't high enough, it'll, your it, police will come and get you. <laughs> and that doesn't happen to every Chinese person, but it happens to enough of them now. Uh, it's like uh, they want people, the, the idea on the Chinese government side is that they want to create like a hierarchical system to encourage people to climb up in life and not go down in life. But if you go down in life, you're screwed. Um, you might not be able to have your children go to university if you have a poor score. So it's like a generational thing. And I, I don't know, I don't, 
I hate it, but the technology is cool. Um, so depending on how it's used, we could have a, a futuristic society that doesn't try to whip us all the time uh, with, you know, digital incentive, incentives. Um, okay, so the metaverse is going to, remote is going to be the focus for today, as well as cars, but that's a different thing. Uh, this one comes to us for app in trials uh, for hospital patients to go on trips in the metaverse. So I think the metaverse is a flop. I hate the metaverse. It looks like a bad cartoon rendering. It reminds me of um, like something I would see at a science fair like 20 years ago where it's like, you can go anywhere, uh, like a video game, and you put it on. It's like, well, this isn't a very good video game. This kind of sucks. And it's like, yeah, but you can meet other people in real life in this shitty video game. And so... Um, they try to push it and push it and push it so that you can stay in your home and pollute less because you're not out, but also be completely tracked in the metaverse by the by whoever is monitoring it, and then your behavior changes as well. Um, so here we go. This comes to us from the Asahi Shimbum again by uh, Mitsumi Mitobe, a staff writer on September 9th. Hospital walls no longer have to be barriers to patients who dream of going on trips with their families or greeting visitors through a meeting app that is currently being tested. The application Medical Meetup started its trial run on August 1st at Jutendo University Hospital in Tokyo so users can see one another in a virtual reality space. Expanding this quote, expanding the scope of visitors in the metaverse may allow hospitalized children to go on virtual school walks and trips with classmates too, end quote, said Junya Fujimura, an associate professor of pediatrics at the hospital's Department of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine, expressing high expectations. Through medical meetup, patients and guests can engage in conversations and exchange high fives through their avatars on a white beach with the sprawling blue ocean waters on their app-installed smartphone displays. Yeah, so you're looking at a, you're basically holding a smartphone up to your face and t calling it a metaverse. Uh, they can design their graphical alter egos as they desire to visit the location resembling a seaside resort. Patients and visitors are alike able to run about on the beach, spend time with oceanic creatures, and take hot air balloons rides via interactions on screens. They want to charge for those things too in the future. You'll be given credits to spend in the metaverse. Um, I've already um, profiled a company that was trying to do that with glasses. You'd put on a pair of glasses that would have screens on them, and then the glasses would have uh, a blockchain-enabled <laughs> wireless arm on one of the glasses. And then you could walk through the metaverse and then pay for things in the metaverse via these crypto glasses, like crypto metaverse glasses. It's fascinating, but at the same time, it's like, let's just become slaves. Um, visit hospital in metaverse. So, I don't know. A lot of the times we know what people, they don't, you don't really want to see if you're like a hospitalized child, you, you, you wouldn't it be better just to watch like YouTube videos about the ocean um, and maybe, but you, you put on your metaverse glasses and it's just like a crappy, really badly animated like experience. It doesn't engage anyone. So I, I, I assume that these initiatives are going to fail uh, and I don't see it becoming very popular at all. Like, uh, it just seems like a ripoff. It really does seem like a ripoff. Like, here's a dream. You can do anything in the metaverse. And then you go into the metaverse and you're like, well, it kind of sucks. There's really nothing that looks real or fascinating. And 
these graphics are horribly out of date. And, but they're like, yeah, but you can go talk to a whale. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go talk to the whale. Hello, whale. Brew, 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 brew. Well, that's the metaverse for you, folks. I can see why they're concerned about kids being in hospitals and not having enough to do. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'd like to see something else provided to these kids. So anyways, that's that's the Japan Society 5.0 uh, for one thing. And another similar thing that's probably equally as dumb is from japantoday.com, and this is the idea of remote learning. And I, uh, Japanese educators want to allow students to use robot substitutes to attend school. And it's from Sora News 24, our old favorite, Casey Basile. Let's, I don't think he's trying to be, or I don't think Casey can't say he, I don't know, is trying to be funny. The Kumamoto City Board of Education is worried about the number of elementary and middle-aged school children, middle schools, middle school-aged children within the city who aren't attending classes. According to the board's statistics, roughly 2,700 kids within those age groups were not at school during the 2022 academic year, double the number for 2018. So the pandemic happened, a bunch of kids went home, and none of them came back. What we did to the kids during the pandemic is like karma. The karmic pendulum of doom is going to come back and really nail us. So I think you can guess what this is all about, but it would be like having a couple of robots that would, in the classroom, where students can jump into remotely and then kind of technically um, be in the class. Uh, so the robots are equipped with cameras, microphones, and speakers so that the students controlling them from home can see and hear what's going on in the classroom and also express themselves verbally during lesson-related discussions or when communicating with classmates. What's more, the robots, which are roughly one meter in height, are mobile and can be piloted around the campus to participate in school activities held outside the classroom as well. Um, <clears throat> it might make sense, but I don't know. It seems like another initiative where they just have all this technology that's around and it's being, you know, it's it's been developed, but it's not being used. Similar attempts were made to um, use those types of robots, except without speakers, at sports stadiums where if you're like a fan of this team, but you can't go to the, the the game, you could rent a robot and the robot would be placed at like really close to the, the action and you'd be able to look around with this robot. But well, I think a lot of people would just rather watch the game at home on TV, putting on like a, a wire, like goggles and all these things. And then just so that you can look around it. I think there's a lot more to the experience of, of watching, watching a sport or being in a class than, um, than just looking at stuff. There's a an immersive experience, and just because you're wearing goggles at home connected to something that's immersed in the classroom, I think the only thing that you're really connected to is are, is the visual stimuli and I guess a little bit of audio stimuli. Um, but maybe, you know, if you're a little kid and you, you do it a few times and you see that the kids are having fun and it's not as crazy as you think it would be, you might go back into the school and it also might be um, normalizing all the kids to having robots in the future. And I don't know, that might be okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's a, it's a 2.3. Thank you, World uh, Economic Forum-induced <laughs> mediocrity into our futures. Thank you very much. Um, and we're not going to do too much more today. 
the last one that I'm not going to get into is um, car makers fail privacy test, give owners little or no control on personal data they collect. And this is a big part of the push for EVs, not the fact that EVs are environmentally friendly, um, which is the the kind of the moral push because most consumers want a moral reason to buy something that's expensive. But a lot of EVs, um, everything can be tracked inside of them. It's it's very different from uh, a combustion engine or an internal combustion engine where you you hit the brake and the brake is connected to a whole bunch of little things to the brake pads and then it's kind of, it's all mechanical. A lot of the times with the EV thing, you hit the brake and it sends a message to the computer to hit the brake. Uh, no, it's just not with brakes. Cause I'm sure with, with internal combustion automobiles these days that a lot of that programming gets routed through the computer as well. Um, but everything can be routed through the computer with an EV. And at that point it can be tracked. And so all of these cars are going to be connected to the internet and everything that you're doing in those cars with cameras now being placed on the insides where you're looking, how flush you are to see if you're drunk or not, um, who's talking and, and the occupancy of the car and all that. Everything, the, all of that data can be collected and turned into like tiny little amounts of information, weight on the seats, um, uh, how distracted you are, how many times you looked away from the road every minute or something like that. It's all just very simple numbers that are tabulated inside the computer and then shot through the internet back to a database somewhere. And this could affect your insurance policy. If you're a really good driver, you might get a better deal the next year. So, you know, it could reward good drivers with things. Um, but the whole idea behind a lot of these EVs is to basically turn the um, automobile into something that's just as trackable as your smartphone. And I guess most people will just get into it. I'm not exactly super concerned about all that, but it is interesting to note that there is just this giant push through everything to collect as much data on users and people as possible to control them in the future. Um, but who knows that data might be useful. You know, how, how many, how much weight is in a car and how much juice does that get? And if you're too fat, maybe you, you can't go as far as somebody else in a family that's all skinny. So a fat family can only go 30 kilometers out of town, but a thin family can go like 900 kilometers out of town. So it's not really based on science. It's just based on incentives. So collecting data to implement incentives that would control a population. It's like, oh, you're on camera eating a bunch of bugs. Well, now your plane ticket is $20 less because of the carbon that you saved instead of eating beef or something like that. And uh, the whole idea behind social media is to do that, right? So take a look at social media and what people try to do on social media to get to get likes or social clout or approval and stuff like that. And you can kind of see that we're, we're being like billions and billions of people all day, every day are slowly and slowly and slowly being conditioned by carrot and stick rewarding behavior patterns implemented via wireless algorithms and AI to change the way we think and interact with each other. And they've been very, very successful. I'm very, very impressed with their initiatives, uh, given the fact that it's not really that interesting at the end of the day. Uh, all right, well, that's going to conclude Society 5.0 for today. I'll be posting the links for that car article if you're interested in reading it at MatthewPMBigelow.com, uh, which is, I get used to saying it all the time now. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial.
artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. All right, we're going to um, finish off the show with just some comments and headlines. Um, war. Let's do a quick war thing. War, 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 war. Die for the war. Everybody knows. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. So as the world completely uh, bifurcates into these um, multipolar um, patterns that are, you know, trying to um, wrest control over the global south for their future economies, um, we have uh, Russia and China on one side, essentially, and then G7 on the other. Um, that includes Japan. Um, and as, you know, Kishida said at the G27, G20 meeting, um, he condemned Russia for its actions and said, get out of Ukraine, Russia. And Japan's top diplomat makes first visit to Ukraine since wars start. Um, and it was basically to, dis to discuss uh, reconstruction uh, after the war. You know, I think Japan has sent a few billion dollars Ukraine's way, but it can't be in weapons because of Japan's pacifist constitution. Um, what, meanwhile, Russia is rebuilding like crazy in the parts of Ukraine that it's annexed or taken over by war. Um, Crimea, of course, a few years ago, 2014, and now recently the Donbass uh, area there. Um, a few, I can't remember all the names right now, just off the top of my head. Uh, Donbass, Kharkiv, or Yadihov, um, what would be some of the other zones? The uh, Odessa, they're going to try to go for Mariupol, all those places. And a lot of those places, like the the behind the army is the reconstruction effort. And a lot of Russians' reconstruction is going on there. They're building supermarkets, new apartment buildings. A lot of the infrastructure in Ukraine is still from the Soviet era. They've been free of the Soviets since the early 90s, but still they haven't really built up a lot of the country. So... Um, I think one thing that Russia is trying to do to curry favor is to start a lot of reconstruction in the area. And I've seen quite a few videos of people just walking around new supermarkets and it's all stocked with stuff. And I'm sure it's like an offering like, hey, uh, join us. Um, uh, but so what I'm trying to say is Japan is steadily going with the Ukrainian side and the Ukrainian side is stuck to the um, G20 side or the G7 or the, let's just say Europe and America and Canada, just to be nice to me, who's Canadian. Um, and he's going over there to talk about, you know, Japan's participation in that side. On the other, on the other side of it is um, uh, with Ukraine on the, the Asia's Ukraine would be Taiwan. Uh, and security breach at Japan's cybersecurity agency may have been the work of Chinese hackers. It's a very interesting article. It'll be posted at MatthewPMBigelow.com. But these are kind of um, the two front lines that are developing between these multipolar patterns uh, in the world order these days. And um, the more that uh, Japan in integrates its uh, cyber surveillance networks into Korea and Taiwan and America, 
the more that China is probably going to be testing it uh, to see its strengths and weaknesses. So on, it's just kind of confirming that in this war coming up, we have the buildup to the war and, and, and Taiwan and the ongoing war uh, in Ukraine. And um, Japan is kind of wrapped up inside of it due to its international commitments and things like that. Uh, do I, I wish that, should we be sending $6 billion to Ukraine? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I don't, I don't know why they get $6 billion. It's a corrupt country. Hello, Mr. Corrupt Country. Too bad that you are having some invasions happening. Here's $6 billion from Japan. I just, I, I don't see it really doing much and I, to a corrupt country. Um, and then as, yeah, and then China is kind of, uh, poking at the at the cyber territories of its neighbors ahead of possibly a, a launch and my whole uh, idea is that maybe China could already have infiltrated America's networks as well and there's a lot of sympathy towards China in American society right now and a lot of incompetence so China might be able to um, back a door the American surveillance umbrella and then overlay it with its own surveillance umbrella and then really gain a high level of understanding of what's happening in the cyber world and then via surveillance, the real world, and then that would enable China to bolster its militaristic operations should it, should it choose to engage in them uh, in 2026-2027. So Maybe China is slow building up to this war. It already has enough navy, but maybe they're trying to like um, uh, gain more and more control via backdoor mechanisms into the increasingly like rivalistic relationships that these multipolar regions are having with each other. Um, and once China maybe feels comfortable enough that it it can um, backdoor all of its neighboring countries' cyber defenses, then it might launch an attack into Taiwan. And who knows? Maybe China would be able to disable a lot of the cyber defense um, capabilities of its neighbors in, in South Korea, uh, Japan, and Taiwan and shut it down. And then they would, they would really have an advantage then. And depending who's in office in the America uh, White House, uh, that would really affect... America's ability to respond because I mean, can Joe Biden respond to um, crazy cyber threats? Does he even know what those are? Probably not. Uh, so that's that's the war section for today. Just some commentary, um, and then finally, what's the final one I had for today? China is strengthening its control over global logistics data under the One Belt One Road Initiative. Uh, and the U.S.-China hegemony battle over data. Um, that figures into the war aspect as well, because if China can hinder and hamper um, its rivals' logistics networks, uh, then China would be able to leverage its own logistics networks. And with its One Belt, One Road initiative, China wants to use the yuan um, with QR code-based payment systems inside of its um, phones and things like that. And then the new China phone, the Huawei phone, the P90 or something like that. I've seen people on airplanes making phone calls. So China has made an in-house, like a Chinese made phone. And it's not using chips anymore from the international community because they've been blacklisted from them. So they've developed their own chips and now they're incorporating their regular handheld phone devices into satellite networks. And now people can call each other 
on airplanes, but the phone isn't just a phone. I mean, if it's your modicum of business, if that's what's driving your payment processing and, and your business transactions, it's just you, you've increased the amount of places where you can now incorporate Chinese systems into your financial processes. So they're really making a lot of efforts to um, have an internally developed China-first approach to their international uh, uh, payment processing. And again, it's it's a type of territory and that figures into war as well. Uh, so if you have a whole bunch of old ports in America that are rotting apart and, and China is developing fully automated 5G-enabled ports, uh, if you can increase the amount of goods going to locations and increase the efficiency of payments and things like that, China might have like a real um, leverage going on that not a lot of people are talking about. And if you're not connecting the dots in such ways like, oh, now I can call my grandma from an airplane. Maybe that's not what the phone is going to be used for in the future. Maybe it's going to be used for who knows what, but it's increasing the amount of places where Japanese mega corporations can extend their reach into the payments and uh, in the shipping and logistics um, sectors. And that's significant. Uh, anything else? Uh, do, 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 do. I think I had one last thing. Uh, Catholics. So... Catholicism was big a long time ago in Japan, and I just found this. I thought I would read it from Twitter. Today is the feast day of the martyrs of Japan, the litur liturgical observance of which is superseded by the liturgy for Sunday. There are 205 such martyrs, uh, beatified by Pope Pius IX on the 7th of May, 1867, 74 of whom were Augustinian, Dominican, uh, Franciscan, and Jesuit priests, and 131 people lay fruitful. In the 1540s, Sir Francis Xavier brought Christianity to Japan, and for a short time it flourished. However, rulers in Japan started to perceive it as a foreign threat, having watched countries like the Philippines being taken over by the Spanish. As such, Japan banned Christianity and persecuted Christians. Before the religion was forced underground, many of its prominent leaders and workers lost their lives. Imprisonment, torture, beheading, spearing, burning on pyres, and and crucifixion were among the terrifying punishments handed down. Neither gender nor age was a defense. Children as young as 12 were martyred. Those 205 martyrs who died between 1598 and 1632 are but a small number of perhaps thousands who were executed for their Catholic faith. When religion freedom was reestablished in 1873, many thousands of secret Catholics were discovered. And then it says, let us pray. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pray on the podcast. Oh, that was kind of an interesting, a little historical tidbit there. Um, and now of course there's churches everywhere. We're all good. Oh, praise Jesus. Love Buddha. Muhammad might have some points too, people. You've been listening to the Japan What podcast. Uh, don't say anything that would get me killed right now by religious fanatics as I'm tempted to with the process in my brain, that's borderline um, when those people say those words that they can't stop saying. So thank you very much for the Japan What Podcast tuning in today from Japan to you. I will say MatthewPMBigelow.com. Until next time, everybody. Ja mata ne.
I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home.